As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. And tonight we are coming to you recorded from Columbus, Ohio, where the U.S. men's national team just gave Paul Tenorio a nice little birthday present uh, and beat Costa Rica 2-1 at Lower.com Fields. It was a bit of an it was an interesting match. It got a little bit dicey at times. The U.S. actually conceded in the very first minute of play. Uh, the TIFO that the American Outlaws had put up at the stadium was not even all the way down yet. So I'm guessing a lot of the fans that were stuck behind that in that section actually missed the goal. Um, it happened fast, but the U.S. responded really, really well. Uh, it was one of the better all-around performances, I think, that we've seen during the Burhalter era. There were a few instances where they, they made some avoidable and what could have been costly mistakes. But on the whole, I thought a really good night. And it leaves the U.S. in a really good position heading into next month's massive qualifier against Mexico. The U.S. is now in second in the CONCACAF octagonal. Mexico, which beat El Salvador this evening, is in first. So that game in Cincinnati is going to be it's going to be amazing. It's going to be an incredible environment. I'm really looking forward to it. But we're not talking about that tonight, Paul. We are talking about this game against Costa Rica. Uh, Serginho Dest scored the first for the U.S. in the 25th. Absolute golasso. Incredible strike to beat Kaylor Navas. Navas then came out at halftime with an injury, which played a big role because the second goal for the U.S. in the 66th, the backup goalkeeper probably could have done a little bit better with for Costa Rica. But on the whole, nice performance for the U.S. and really a nice window. So we'll, we'll go small picture and really drill down on the match in a moment but overall takeaways both from this game and from this window for you Paul yeah I mean look I I think when I when I step back and look at the window overall um you know I have to feel like it was a positive window more than a negative window I, I think certainly the performance in Panama isn't something that anyone's happy with or or you know, that you're puffing your chest out about. But I think when you look at the window overall, we learned a lot about this pool. And, you know, if this summer was about testing the depth of the program, how deep is this U.S. men's national team? Two different squads, Nations League, Gold Cup. I think that so far these qualifiers have been, have been about focusing that depth. 
and learning who are the players that you can count on in these big games. Because we don't really know anything about these players. I mean, the average age of this team tonight that started was 22 years and 61 days. There were zero players in the starting 11 who had played a World Cup qualifier before September. That's insane. It's, 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 it's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. It's yeah. crazy. And so for me, I think, you know, I look at it and I say, okay, after six games, there are players who I've identified who I think you can count on. I talked about it in the last show, the five guys who need, you know, of which two need to be on the field. But I think you look at what, you know, Miles Robinson has done. Walker Zimmerman stepped up in this camp to show that he can be counted on in these games. Uh, Matt Turner has shown that he can be counted on to be yeah, a number not tonight, one. Of course. Anthony Robinson has shown that he can be a starter, um, which we didn't know about him going in. Brendan Aronson, of course, has been a revelation. Uh, Tim Weah has shown, you know, he was poor in Panama, but in two performances, I thought he put in really good shifts. And I think, you know, that was a really important thing for him to show. Yunus Musa, same as Weah, you know, not a great performance in Panama, but in two of his performances, showed as a really young player that he can step up in those moments. And so you're starting to focus in on these players. And that's my big impression. That's my takeaway out of the six games is like, I think we now have a much better idea of like the 18 to 20 players that you're kind of like, okay, I feel good about these players rotating in. I feel good about these players coming in off the bench as subs. And by the way, that includes some veteran guys who I think have done exactly what's been asked of them. You know, Paul Ariola, for the most part, you know, kind of fills his role. Tim Ream, when he's been called on, has has been solid. De- DeAndre Yedlin, when he's come into games, I think has has you know done his job. And so those veteran guys, they add something. Christian Roldan, they add something to the locker room, and and I think they you know are the types of depth pieces that you want to play those very specific roles they've been asked to play so far. Um, yeah. You know, they're not game changers. They're not asked to be. You but know, they're they, workmanlike. They're, they're told to come in, work hard, set the, set the tone. And, Good role and they, players. They translate that over into the locker room too, that attitude, that willingness to do that. So we have a better, I think, a better idea. Um, and real quickly, I'll pass it back to you after this. But, like, you know, I think there are some players that open the door for, for, for competition, you know? Yeah. You know, certainly yeah, I think – Kellen Acosta and Sebastian Legette are, are going to be fighting from the, John Brooks. A door opened Josh Sargent earlier in this window. You know, he opened that door for the striker yeah. position and, and, you know, we saw Ricardo Pepe take it. Obviously he's another player who we learned a lot about in this, in this last few windows. So <laughs> didn't even mention um, him. Yeah. It's just been a, a, I think a really important six games in that we're just learning so much about this group. Yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of think of it and a good way to frame it. And what I would say is like a lesson learned from the reaction that was natural for partially for us and for a lot of a lot of people in the fan base. It's natural to react violently, positively or negatively, but like super volatilely to any of these matches. And I think it's important to understand that as long as the U.S. is keeping pace with the points per game kind of rate that they need, which they are doing, and then some. Right, they're at one point eight three, I think, um, through six games, and that's more than enough to historically qualify out of Concacaf with relative ease. By the way, so they're in a good position. Um, I think it's just important to kind of keep the perspective, understand that there are the growth is not going to be linear with this team. We've seen that now uh, in several games, Panama being maybe the highlight 
um, or the low light, I guess, in that regard. Um, so it's important to kind of keep some level heads. Uh, you can, of course, react to each individual match, but, you know, take a step back too and understand where they are in the bigger picture of things. And right now, they're in a good place in the bigger picture of things. Who knows how it's going to go against Mexico? That match will, again, tell us a lot. It will teach us a lot. There will be a lot of learning in that one, too. Um, but, Paul, to drill down a little bit more on this match tonight, um, I thought it was a good kind of encapsulation of the whole USMNT, right? Like, they mostly performed really well. But there were a few moments when they made some big, big errors, that Costa Rica, you know, they punished the first one, um, but they didn't punish any of the other ones. Different night, you know, a different, fresher player than 36-year-old Brian Ruiz on a breakaway. And maybe we're singing a different tune. If Kay- Again, if Kaylor Navas stays in the game, maybe he saves that way a chance, right? Um, so the margins are thin in this still. It's not as if the U.S. is blowing people out. But they did play really well tonight, and, and I want to highlight that. So they obviously give up the early goal. Zach Steffen, he started for Matt Turner. That was a bit of a surprise. Um, you and I talked about it on our pregame live room on The Athletic, kind of how we felt like it doesn't send an awesome message to Turner just in terms of what he needs to do to maintain his role because he's done everything that you could have asked him to do to maintain his role as the starter for this team. Um, that aside, you know, Steffen comes out very first minute of the game, rushes outside of his box to attempt to clear a long ball. He does a diving header. I thought it was a little bit aggressive even in the moment for him to do and he didn't get a lot on that header it probably only went like 10 15 yards forward Ruiz made a great play on the left sideline to back heel the ball keep it in and play it right into the path of Ronald Matarita who races down the left clips in across to the back post the U.S. was scrambling a little bit Kendall uh Kendall Fuller got lost in the shuffle no one was marking him and he side foots it goes past the striker Jonathan Moya and Stefan couldn't really react because it looked like Moya might redirect it in, right? So so he had to stay put, and he couldn't reach for the ball. Uh, and it goes in, and the U.S. appealed for offside, and it turned out that Dest, who was trying to keep up with Matarita, um, hadn't recovered his run after the cross, and he was actually not even on the field of play. He was behind the goal line just to touch, so he was keeping everybody on. Um, but again, they they responded, right? And we saw some of the best attacking play that I think we've seen in a long time from the U.S. Berhalter really bemoaned the lack of movement in Panama on Sunday. Today was dramatically different, particularly for stretches of that first half. What do you think of that? What do you see in that regard? Well, again, you know, I think that they, like Honduras, responded, like you said, to, to kind of getting punched early on. And, and they were already having to show that they could respond from Panama. Um, and what we saw in this response was good soccer, like really good soccer. I mean, they were moving the ball quickly. They were rotating. They were, they were, um, I thought the way that they were switching play, going back and forth, um, alternating, finding players in the pockets, causing Costa Rica's defensive organization to really respond and answer and step up and, and figure out how to, um, to deal with it. It was, it, it looked like not a lot of fun to defend. Um, you know, they're very dynamic when they do that kind of stuff. You Man, have they were moving so well. People. Weston McKinney so was well. going at people. Tyler Adams was stepping up. The overlaps were happening with the wingers. The fullbacks were getting forward. I mean, imagine being a defender on the left side of the field for Costa Rica and you're dealing with Musa, Dest, 
and Wea. I mean, it's just a lot was happening there. And um, I thought I thought for 35 minutes, I thought it was the best soccer I've seen this national team play, period. I don't know that there's been a better performance from them, just in pure soccer terms. And, um, you know, it led to a very deserved goal. I thought that they were going to be I, – I felt like it was really, really disappointing to go into halftime 1-1. They were that good. Um, they really didn't get other great chances on novice. Like they weren't converting it into shots. That was probably the one missing piece is that they, they weren't really creating dangerous opportunities. And I felt like they were like so close to it. And, and Costa Rica was playing in such a deep line that they'd get the ball into a dangerous spot in the box and it would get blocked by a defender or yeah. bounce around in the box. They were so close. And I, I just felt like, man, they, they really needed to get a goal considering how well they played. And, um, you know, like you said, I mean, Kaylor coming out at halftime was a, a massive, massive, massive moment in this game. And, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, I think the U.S. deserved the win. I thought the soccer was really good. Um, but, you know, to your point, there's still lessons learned here. I mean, there were still some really um, amateur, not amateur, that really young mistakes that happened, bad turnovers and bad spots. And I thought, like, in the second half, those turnovers that happened, especially the one you referred to with with um, Brian Ruiz in a one on nothing breakaway that Miles Robinson recovered from his own mistake, like that that kind of stuff was happening because there was like a little bit of overconfidence because Costa Rica was so slow and so tired that they, that the ball rotation I thought got worse and a lot got sloppier. And and that's kind of stuff that you just can't let happen because it was a, it was a one goal game and 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 really. You know, they, they were almost, I don't know, offering up opportunities to Costa Rica to, to equalize. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like, literally, man, like, if that's Randall Leal instead of Brian Ruiz that picks off that pass that, that Robinson hit, he's probably not catching him, right? No. And who, know, and who knows if he scores or not, right? But Leal's driving into the box for a one-on-one with your goalkeeper, and you're in bad, bad shape. The U- that game was still tied at that point. U.S. hadn't taken the lead yet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think it just sort of shows. There, there are moments that they still need to learn, right? And I thought they did a mostly good job of seeing out the game, particularly after they took the lead, right? But there, was, there, was, there were those moments. Chris Richards could have easily been called for a penalty kick in the not first half. Not his fault. That starts with Wes and McKinney mm-hmm. not turning out of pressure. I mean, the ball gets played to Wes and McKinney um, from a low defensive position. He has plenty of time to turn. And Eunice Moose is waiting further up the field. It would have been a very easy turn and pass to get out of pressure. Instead, he plays the ball directly back into pressure, gets it again, plays it back into pressure again, and turns it over. And that's what leads to that moment where Chris Richards has to make a desperation tackle, um, you know, misses the ball. You know, the tackle actually he was good in that he didn't go through the back of him, got out in front of him, but he missed the ball. And and then obviously uh, Moya kicked the ground and, and kicked – Chris Richards, it was a penalty. And but it starts there with a with a just a sloppy play from Weston where you just need to you just need to turn out of that pressure and, and play out of it. And he didn't do that. So there were those little moments like that yeah. that I thought, you know, again, you look you're gonna look back at those on film, you're gonna say, This is where we need to be a little bit cleaner. This is where we need to be a little bit better. But, you know, for me it was really important. I just think in the fact that they didn't let that first minute goal completely tank the game. And that was no. a possibility. No, absolutely. They stayed patient. Anthony Robinson talked about it yesterday, right? When, when 
you or I, I can't remember, asked him about how do you break down a low block? And he was like, you know, when we, when we struggle and when we don't break it down, we need to stay patient. We need to com- continue playing our roles, continue with the same game plan and trust that we'll eventually get there. And while that doesn't necessarily apply exactly to this situation, the U.S. didn't panic after they, after they went down a goal. They said, okay, we have 90 minutes to get this back. It's going to be a little, little harder now but we have 90 minutes to get it back. And it was a mostly really strong performance with those little moments of inexperience and immaturity mixed in. Um, but those are, those are things that they'll learn from. And it's always, always better to learn from those experiences in a win as opposed to a draw or a loss. So with that, Paul, let's take a little bit of a break. I want to come back after this break and talk more about Serginio Dest specifically, because he was fun and weird and exciting and pretty awesome tonight. Um, and it's worth spending some time on him. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we are back on allocation disorder, recapping the U.S. national team's 2-1 to win against Costa Rica in qualifying. We promised some Serginio Dest talk on the other side of the break. And here we are, delivering. Uh, Paul, he was awesome. He was the creative engine in the attack. He was really engaged. I thought he did a mostly decent job defensively. There was that one moment on the goal when maybe he could have done a little bit better, just kind of making sure he got back and maintained the line. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be too harsh on him on that one. Um, and, and offensively, he was spectacular. And the highlight was, of course, the goal. Um, it was a really good move for the U.S. I think Paul Carr, he tweeted it out. Um, you retweeted it, so help me out if, you, if I misremember. I think it was 35 seconds, 13 passes, nine different players touched the ball in the sequence. And the U.S. played through some Costa Rica pressure, the sequence at one point, Zach Stefan had the ball right in front of his own goal. Um, the U S played through the pressure, uh, when, and then they broke it and they, and they took off up the field really quickly. Aronson got it on the left wing. He played it forward to Tim Weah very quickly way across it, across the top of the box. Eunice Musa tracked down on the opposite flank. He found Dest who was in that sort of middle channel on the right hand side. And Weston McKenney did a good job of, of occupying, some Costa Rica defenders and making sure they couldn't really close Dest down without leaving him. Dest took advantage. He moved into that space and he hammered a left-footed shot, not his stronger foot, a left-footed shot into the far post upper 90. Kaylor Navas, great goalkeeper. He had no chance, no chance at all. Um, And of course, very Serginio Dest devil may care fashion. He did this with his shoe untied, which was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that was a really cool moment. What did you think of his performance, uh, overall tonight? Well, first of all, shout out to Ron Blum from the AP for asking the question about Serginio Dest's shoelaces. Um, eagle eyes, uh, Ron Blum, apparently you got that eagle eye. 
Um, yeah, I mean, look, Serginio Des giveth and Serginio Des taketh away, right, with the first goal kind of switching off for just that half second long enough to, to not recover and try to get back into a position and, you know, hold the player on side. But, you know, I, I don't blame him that much for that. I mean, he chased down, the, tried to block out the cross, um, sprinted off the field in doing so and just didn't get back quickly enough that the play kind of developed fast. But, yeah, I mean, this is who Serginio Dest is. He's a really, 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 really good player when he wants to be. That's basically what Burhalter said, you know, and, and I agree with it. You know, when he is switched on, when he decides he cares, when he is trying, he is really good. The hard part is the moments where Serginio Dest switches off. Yeah. And, and whatever you have to do to try to keep him focused, that's what you've got to do. Because, man... Tonight he was awesome. Ugh, he was magic. really, really, really good. And he adds this whole different dimension. I mean, everything was going through that side of the field. And that's what it should be. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking if you can recreate that on that side of the field, you know, in, in November with Christian Pulisic back on the left side making those late yeah, runs into watch the box. Out, man. And you've got Serginio and Musa and maybe Aronson on the right wing or, or Wea, whoever starts. And you've got Christian crashing in on the left. You've got Anthony Robinson crashing in behind him, it becomes very difficult to defend. You know, very, very difficult to defend. So, a lot of um, options. You know, phenomenal, phenomenal outing, I thought, from from Dest. And you want to see it because he was not good in September Mm -mm. and he was really good in October. Yep. Um, He was huge. He was great against Jamaica, too, as you mentioned. Um, Played a role in both goals. Yeah, played a role in both goals in that game, I think. Maybe not. Maybe not the second one. Not the second one. In the first goal. Um, regardless, I digress. He was really good tonight. Um, Musa, you mentioned. I thought he was also very good tonight. You know, there were a few moments early in the game when I think you turned to me in the press box, Paul, and you were like, he's over dribbling again. And he dribbled himself into trouble a few times. But he snapped out of that pretty fast. Uh, he was doing well, moving the ball with Dest, combining with Adams, playing forward. He turned Costa Rica defenders a few times and drove forward on the ball. We've talked about that ability of his quite a bit. Um, and man, long term, who knows where this will go, right? Who knows? But long term, I wouldn't be surprised if Gio Reyna ends up in the in the center, and Musa is starting over Weston McKenney, and it's those two in the number eight roles. Um, because he was, he's just so smooth, man. And he brings something different and he's cleaner than McKenney on the ball. And McKenney, I think had a decent night tonight. He was really, really disruptive. Um, he did a great job counter pressing and winning the ball back and intercepting a lot of passes and all of those things that you want to see from him defensively, but he wasn't very clean with his passing or his dribbling. Um, and you know, that's something that sometimes happens with him. Um, so anyway, I thought, I thought Musa had a great night. I thought McKenney was decent. I thought Adams was really good, again, as we've grown accustomed to. Um, so, yeah, but on the whole, the midfield was a lot better than it was in Panama um, and probably probably better than it was against Jamaica, too, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, you know, the good thing about Musa, I mean, it's crazy. Musa and, and Gio are both 18 years old. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's wild, You know, man. Serginio Dest is 20. Ricardo Pepe Aaronson's is 18. 20. Aronson's 20. I mean, Way is 21. Way is 20. This team is so, so, so young. It's, 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 you know, and Burhalter brings it up um, often, except for he when should. I ask him about it, then he shoots me down about it. But like, you know, <laughs> this team is super young. It's crazy. 
It really is. And, and I think um, it's exciting. You know, at the end of the day, when you stop and you step back and you think about it, you know, t- today was Musa's third qualifier. Yeah. It was Brendan Aronson's sixth. Yeah. It was Tim Weah's third. Yeah. Dest's fourth. Right. I mean, it, it's just, you know, there's so much more that can that can happen. So much more growth. So much more um, chemistry that can be built. So much more experience that will lead to better performances in the future. You know, when I think about what could happen in 2022 in Qatar if they get there and they continue to grow together as a team. If you think about what happens after yeah. that, when you start looking at 2026 and this whole team is, you know, five years older than they are right now. I mean, Moose is only going to be 23 years old. We don't know what's going to happen with these players. But, <laughs> you know, it is, um, it, it's just fun and exciting to see when they're clicking like that. And, and you know, I'm really interested to see what happens against Mexico because yeah. that's It'll a be whole other level. Now, they got yeah. some experience, right? They got some experience in the Nations League final, some people in the Gold Cup final. But this core group we're talking about in the Nations League final that I think that is such a key little bit of maturity that they learned about the intensity that's going to be in that game. And now you, you notch it up even more in a world cup qualifier. Um, but you know, it's going to be another marker for this team. It's going to be another, another big test. Absolutely. Cause that's a, that's a real veteran group that Mexico has as well. Really experienced team. Obviously the U S took care of business in nations league, but that was a, a very weird, bizarre <laughs> up and down match. I think the U.S. scored, on, I think, on three set pieces in that game. That's going to be hard to recreate, I think, again, against Mexico. Um, and they've done well to start qualifying. 2-0 win in El Salvador earlier today. It was 2-0, right? I'm not quoting that wrong. Yeah, it was kind of a weird game. I tuned in late to it, but it, it felt very, you know, it was one nothing till very, very late. A late, late penalty made it 2 nothing. It was a close game. Um, back and forth, you know, there's a couple red cards El Salvador is a tough place to play. You know, Hugo Perez is, has them playing good soccer. Um, but it's been a really, yeah, it's been, you know, they're another team that's, you know, facing a lot of pressure from the outside. The expectations are... More um, than the U.S., really. Yeah, very, very high. And, and they're sitting in first place in a pretty good position. 14 points after six games is really, really strong. Um but it's a big, big window for U.S. It's a big window for Canada in November. Canada plays at home against Costa Rica and Mexico. U.S. is Maybe at home Drake against will be Mexico there in Edmonton. Then on the road in Jamaica. Yeah, Drake is probably going to be there. Um, they're playing games in Edmonton, which is going to be awesome. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I think like after tonight's performance, you start getting excited like we are and talking positively as we should. And then you remember that the next game is home against Mexico. And if you don't get a good result there, we're back into like panic button mode <laughs> and like everything's going wrong. And that's just the nature of this qualification cycle. It's been very, very, very intense. Yeah, absolutely. It's been super, super intense. Let's take one more break. Let's talk more about what you just said because I think we want to, it's, it's important to hit on that. And then let's talk about goalkeeper. I can't believe we haven't gotten there yet. We'll talk about the goalkeeper spot too. Stay with us. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And we are back. Final segment of this episode. Final episode of the October window, USMNT with a 2-1 to one win over Costa Rica in Columbus, second place in the Ocho, good feelings bound. Talking a little bit about the goalkeeper situation, um, Matt Turner had played the previous five qualifiers, Zach Steffen got the start tonight. Um, Steffen entered September as the number one, I think, in Burhalter's eyes and for the USMNT. He then suffered back spasms ahead of the first match in El Salvador, and then subsequently tested positive for COVID-19 while in Nashville, hanging back while the rest of the team went down to Central America. He obviously then missed the next two matches. Um, he played just, I think, once for Manchester City in between camps. Turner obviously played the first two games of this window, did mostly pretty well. Um, I think we can say he struggled with his feet the other night in Panama, um, just like every other U.S. player <laughs> in that match. Um, and Stefan was given in the start in, in his former home city where he used to play for Burhalter with the Columbus crew um, and had that gaffe in the first minute and then responded pretty well. I, I don't know. He didn't really have much to do save-wise after that. No, he wasn't really challenged too much. Um and look, overall, I mean, look, I, I understand to a certain extent where Burhalter is coming from here. I mean, the staff feels like Zach Steffen is a number one. We know that because he was the number one at Nations League. He was the number one coming into September camp. And he only didn't start in September because he had back spasms and then he tested positive for COVID. Matt Turner, meanwhile, has shown that he is a number one as well. He started um, and played well for the U.S., Every single time they've called upon him, he has played very, very well for New England. And yes, he is not always the cleanest with his feet. And clearly, teams are seeing something about corner kicks that they're challenging and going directly at him 
um, in every single game of this window that has been a strategy. Um, but, you know, this is not new territory for the U.S. men's national team to have two very good goalkeepers battling it out. And so was I thought it was a massive risk by Burhalter to make the change. After the first minute, I thought it was a risk oh, that didn't pay off. Um, but, you know, I I look at the goal and I'm like, I don't know how much of it to put on Stefan other than the clearance when he came out with the header. I have, mm-hmm. I you know, he didn't get enough on it to, to make that play. But I, I actually thought he needed to come out and make a play on the ball, um, mm-hmm. you know, That's pretty true. early on. I thought, you know, it would have been risky to let that ball bounce another couple times and potentially roll into the path of the player and hope your center backs are able to win that race and get in a good position and not foul and create a penalty. Like, I, I thought he made the right decision to come out and do something, but you got to get a little bit more on it. Um, but certainly this con- this controversy of Turner or Stefan is not going away anytime soon. No, no. Uh, and it's going to be a huge question ahead of the Mexico game. And, Paul, I said this before the match when we were doing our, our little little live room on The Athletic, but – it wouldn't be surprising if Burhalter looked at this game and looked at the Mexico game and said, I think I probably want to start Stefan against Mexico. And if I'm going to start him against Mexico, I need to give him a run out here, you know, and, and sort of lay the groundwork for that almost. Um, so I don't know. We'll see who gets that nod. Turner is definitely going to have a lot more games between now and then than Stefan with the revs than, than Zach will have over at Man City. Um, so that'll be something to consider too. Um, Stefan, I think it is worth mentioning, you know, in the constant discussion about goalkeepers and how good they are with their feet that I think personally is a little bit overrated for the most part. He did play a role in the buildup to the U.S.'s first goal, um, and he was under pressure in that buildup, and he did pretty well. Um, so that's something, I think, to re- to, re- to remember before yeah, I mean, I think anytime you're playing a team that, um, that presses a little bit higher, you know, People look. Zach Steffen is still a goalkeeper. He's not Ederson. He's not going to be perfectly clean on the ball like a field player. Um, but there is a different level of confidence when the ball goes back to Steffen than with Turner. Um, Turner just looks uncomfortable. And that, I mean, he started playing soccer when he was fourteen. Yeah, he looks uncomfortable. Yeah. It transmits. And I thought they played a lot more through Steffen when they when they needed to. Um, and I'm not. It's not like again. Like to your point, it's not like he is this key footballer back there and every pass was perfect. It wasn't. But um I, I think when you're playing a team where you could be under a high press more often, you know, maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable, like you will be against Mexico, um, with a goalkeeper like Stefan where the ball goes back to him and you trust him a little bit more um to get out of those moments. But ultimately, you know, I think I think you look at form overall. I think you look at, you know, who's playing well and who's playing, and and that's how I kind of lean when it comes to goalkeepers yeah, and when it comes way. to strikers. You know, who's in form, and um and for me right now, Matt Turner is in form. That'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on uh, as my microphone falls over here and disrupts our our late night recording. <laughs> um, Paul, moving on and and kind of putting a cap on the window. You sort of got a little bit at it in both of the first two segments. Um, but let's circle back and, and really put a bow on this thing. Obviously six points, pretty solid outcome, taking care of business at home. Of course you want to do better at Panama on the whole though. You're in a good spot. You've gotten some good performances. As you've mentioned, you've learned a lot about a lot of different players moving forward. 
Um, I think for me, it's important to, to zoom out and take a step back and understand that there are guys who looked good this window that are probably going to look bad in the next one. And that there are guys that look bad in this window that are probably going to look good in the next one. Nothing is permanent with this team, and it's going to be inconsistent in terms of individual and collective performances because it's so young and because it's so inexperienced at this level. So it's important to remember that. That said, they showed tonight, and they showed against Jamaica, what they can be. What they can be here and now, right? And that's a good, strong team that should really control every match that they play except against Mexico and maybe against Canada in this qualifying process. Um, they did not show that in Panama, right? The top of the roster, again, showed it tonight. Tantalizing. They can play some really good soccer. But the rest of the group, as we saw in Panama, sometimes can leave, leave you wanting a little bit more. So I think that's kind of where I stand. It's a good team. It's an exciting young team, but it's young and it's inexperienced, and they're going to continue to be ups and downs. And as long as they stay on that good points-per-game track, then I don't think any of us need to freak out too, too hard about any one individual performance or result. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I look at it, and I agree with you. I wrote in the piece, even though I do believe that there are players that you trust more now coming out of the first two windows, I don't think Greg Berhalter is going to close the door on any player in this pool. You know, Josh Sargent could very well score goals for Norwich and be right back in the national team. Kellen Acosta and Sebastian Legette, you know, probably aren't completely done with the national team. You know, certainly Kellen Acosta, who else can play the number six if Tyler Adams is hurt? There, there aren't a ton of options in the pool at that position. So Kellen Acosta is not going anywhere. Sebastian Legette, you know, that one's a bigger question mark for me. I think it's a lot harder to include him when you start to look at the emergence of, specifically of Eunice Musa. Um, and when you bring Gio Reyna back into the mix, the roster starts to get a little bit tougher to break Shoot, into. John, John Luca Busio looked Busio good. Busio looked very good. And, you know, Delatore, I thought, played well against Jamaica in his little cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one might be a little bit tougher. But, you know, these players, this this 40-man pool or 50-man pool, however you want to look at it, this is who they are. You know, there's only so many more Joe Scallies and Chris Richards who are going to start to debut. You know, Chris Richards made his World Cup qualifying debut today and had only played like 80 minutes with the national team. There, there aren't that many more guys like that. Um, and Joe Scally hasn't debuted for the senior national team. So this is this is who they are. Um, but we are getting a pretty good idea of the core of this team. That's my takeaway. And, you know, yeah, there's still like this is not going to change what we've experienced in September and October. This is non-linear growth. This is the ups and downs to expect with a team with an average age of 22 and 61 days. You're going to have bad moments. You're going to have good moments. And, you know, the depth of this team also is not so overwhelming as to, you know, not allow for some drop-off. Now, I think we should see less of that in November because it's only two games. It's the one window in this qualification cycle where you don't have to worry as much about rotation. Um, But when we get back to the triple game window in January and when we get back to the triple game window in March, we're going to be right back to rotating that squad and, and trying to find where you can rest guys and where you can, how you can manage minutes. And you're going to continue to have injuries you know, we talk about could Gio Reyna come into mid central midfield and Eunice Musa beat out Weston McKinney. Odds are you're not going to have 
to worry about it because you're not going to have Christian, <laughs> Weston, Tyler, Musa, Gio, Brendan all available at one time. It just doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. So never happened before. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. And I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, it's just like the odds are against you. So um, I don't know, though, man. I, I, I come out of this. And despite that, I think, you know, Sam, you and I were talking right when I walked out of the stadium t- tonight to come back to the hotel just about like how extreme these windows feel because of, you know, the highs of a win and then the lows of a loss and the high of a win. And, you know, you even go back to September and you're like, oh, it was like the worst coming out of Nashville and Canada. And then halftime at Honduras, it was like everyone's looking around like, what's the what's the reaction going to be if they lose this game or they draw down here and they only get three points or two points, then they win and everything's okay for a while. And that's just how this qualification cycle is going to be. It's it's very, it's just filled with extremes. Absolutely. Um, Well, Paul. This has been a pretty extreme podcast, if I do say so myself. Very extreme. Um, <laughs> extreme. Extreme kayaking. Um, anyway, <laughs> I think that's a good place to end. Happy birthday to Paul Tenorio. Wish him a happy birthday on Twitter if you're Thanks, guys. feeling Thanks. so inclined. Um, U.S. with a solid win and overall an effective window. Um I'm Sam Stasekel. He's Paul Tenori. We will be back next week talking about something probably entirely different than this uh, on a normal episode of Allocation Disorder. Um, until then, thanks for listening. Keep on enjoying the soccer, man. It's fun. Let's all have fun. Good night.